Well, I chose a, a long passage to read this morning, not because I intend to go through and thoroughly mine all of its treasure. Uh, don't, don't imagine that. Think, think more supermarket sweep. And we're going to sweep through it and grab a load of uh, obvious treasure and f- stuff, it full of our, stuff our pockets full of it uh, so that we can go home encouraged with that. Um, and here's, uh, here's where we're going to end up. Uh, uh, chapter 41, verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. There's a, a man called Tom who used to be part of my youth group. Uh, these days he's, uh, he lives in Clitheroe and goes to uh, Nigel Clifford's church. So I know you had him here with you uh, sharing his, uh, uh, the story of how he became a Christian a few weeks ago at, in, uh, in the Real Lives Week. Uh, but uh, a few years ago, uh, Tom and I met up at a friend's wedding and uh, uh, we hadn't seen each other for a while so we were catching up and he had a, a cut on his neck so I was teasing him saying, oh, you know, were you in a knife fight? And he said, well, uh, actually, yes. <laughs> uh, it's that a friend of his, a school friend of his, uh, came over to his house and uh, uh, they started talking and the friend produced a knife and told him that he'd been hearing voices all week and he'd come to the conclusion that these voices were Tom telepathically making all kinds of death threats towards this guy's uh, sister and mum and he'd come with a knife uh, to try and force him to confess Uh, uh, otherwise he would kill him. And Tom tried to reason with him uh, and was thinking about there was nobody else in the house, Uh, tried to get him to a more public place where they would talk. But uh, at one point this friend lunged at him with a knife and they they struggled and they they were grappling for nearly half an hour. They got him into a position where he could hold him down, but he couldn't disarm him. And so in that position, struggling, tried to reason with him some more, pleaded with his friends, shared the gospel with him for, for, for ages, it seemed like. And every now and again, the, his friend would get loose and then would be thrashing at him with, with a knife uh, and, until he could get hold of him again and hold him down. Eventually, he talked him round, to, persuaded him to, to go and hand himself in at the police station to, to seek the help that he needed. But in those moments... When, uh, when, when his friend was loose and thrashing at him, he, he talked about the, the terror that meant he was hyper-focused uh, on, on exactly what, what was happening. Everything seemed like it was moving in slow motion, hyper-aware of where that knife was, to, that he could, uh, every sinew and muscle straining to defend himself. Fear is a gift in its right place, isn't it? God has designed us with the fight-or-flight mechanism for a reason. Your body diverts its resources from long and medium-term needs like your immunity and your digestion and repair uh, to divert all, everything to your muscles and the, the parts of your brain that deal with threats. And it saved Tom's life that day. But of course, you, you can't stay in that, that state Uh, all the time, can you? You need your immune and digestive systems. You need, your body needs to repair. Your body needs to sleep and it can't do that in that state. If you stay in that state, you'll get ill, depressed and irritable. 
We'll turn on each other as we perceive everyone different to be a threat. Whether it's somebody who looks different from you or votes differently from you or is in a different tax bracket from you. I think at the moment, you have people that uh, are more or less cautious about COVID than you. You'll see them as a, a threat either to your civil liberties or to your health. Fear is something that we've had to, do, to live with over the last 18 months, isn't it? We are not wise when we're afraid. And most of the dangers we face today uh, cannot be helped by the fight-or-flight response. We first saw those uh, convoys in Italy, didn't we, transporting bodies to a morgue, a military convoy of, of lorries back in Italy about 18 or 20 months ago, didn't we? And uh, we watched people in New York being buried in mass graves on Hart Islands. And we feared that if wealthy Western nations like them were resorting to such measures, what would life be like here? Do not fear, says the Lord. Over two months ago, we saw the sudden collapse of an Afghan army, Afghan army that was 20 years in the making at a cost of 2.3 trillion dollars. I find big numbers difficult to visualize. I, if, you, if you divide that, um, that's uh, on average 300 million dollars a day for each of 20 years. And yet it lasted eight hours in the battle for Kabul. The majority preferring to switch sides and surrender intact their heavy weapons and air force to the Taliban. That is a very expensive way to arm our enemies. Do not fear, says the Lord. And then there's the failure of the West in Af there's what the failure of the West in Afghanistan means for Western values globally, as China and Iran make trade deals with the Taliban, and our global enemies and allies alike see the West's inability to successfully build a nation. Do not fear, says the Lord. Maybe you've been reading all the warnings. Uh, from climate scientists that we've uh, seen in the press over the last few days in the run-up to this, this summit, uh, that we have only a few years to make radical changes to our lifestyles or the earth will irreparably be damaged, and then realise that that is what they said uh, over 20 years ago, that uh, we only had 10 years in which to act. Do not fear, says the Lord's. I missed most of the coverage of uh, the Afghanistan events. Uh, in August, I was grieving over a sudden tragedy that had uh, fallen in the church, the death of a little boy. And when you see such terrible tragedies strike, or tragedies in your own life, do you not ask, how could God let this happen? Where was his protection? If God can let this happen to such a lovely family, then what else should I be afraid of? Do not fear, says the Lord. How on earth are we meant to do that? Because, you know, we can't just switch it off that easily, can we? 
Because these are real concerns that we face, real tragedies and, and challenges. We can't just snap out of it, can we? But have a look at uh, 40, chapter 41, verse 10, once more. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hands. That's what this encouragement is based on. Not saying that, oh, it's not that bad. No, that I am with you. Because I want you to notice that God is not telling his people that it's not as bad as you think. If you look at the context at the end of uh, chapter 39, uh, it very much is as bad as you think. Uh, Chapter 39, um, end of verse 5, says, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord's. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you, will be carried away. And they'll become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. This, of course, happened uh, in the exile. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and their colleagues would suffer in this way. A bloodthirsty pagan nation would ransack their nation. And their suffering would be extreme. And yet he tells them, do not be afraid. Do not fear, for I am with you. Chapter 40 begins with God's command to comfort his people. And we have three comforting voices. And uh, we're not going to go through them now for the sake of time. But uh, 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 verses uh, 3 to 5, the the comfort is the Lord is coming and his glory will be revealed. Verses 6 to 8, he's saying, listen, life is brief, but God's word, his promises, last, stand forever. And uh, verses 9 to 11, God himself will shepherd you. With New Testament eyes, we know who they, they are, don't we? It's the, John the Baptist was proclaiming this comfort because the good shepherds, was coming. The Lord Jesus Christ is God himself come to comfort us and to rescue us. But here's my first point. Uh, uh, Chapter 40, verse 12. Uh, Here is your God, the creator. The comfort that we find in these chapters is all come from just stepping back and remembering exactly who God is, uh, what he is like. Have a look at verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hands, measured heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Have you ever gone walking in the Brecon Beacons, maybe up to uh, Penavan, and from the bottom you can look and you can just see people walking on the ridge, and they look like tiny specks, don't they, uh, on top of this uh, huge mass of earth and rock. It looks big, doesn't it? You climb to the top and you think, oh yeah, that's a, that's a good walk. And then you go and visit Snowdonia and you realise, no, actually, I had no idea what I was talking about. Uh, we don't have any mountains down in South Wales. These are mountains. These are huge. 
and then you visit Ben Nevis and the Highlands. And you think, I, I had no idea what I was talking about. Now, these, these are mountains, unlike anything I've ever seen before. They're, they're far bigger. The, the, the great expanse of space in between them, the, the, their height, the, uh, the challenge. And then you visit the Alps and you think, no, well, the, the, these, are, these, these dwarf everything I've seen in Britain. The, 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 uh, the highlands are, are nothing compared to this. And then maybe one day you go and see the Himalayas and you visit a mountain that you... You hike 17 hours or maybe even several days just to get a to a village in the foothills. And you say, wow, these are huge. These are mind-bogglingly huge lumps of rock. And yet, what are these to God? Just the sort of things you pop on your kitchen scales. Just dust in the balance. Yet uh, the, uh, the, the vast oceans of water, the dust of the Sahara, the unimaginable distances of space are all God's homemade possession. Things that he measures off with his hands. Things that he just plays around with. They're, they're his creation. Things that sprung into being at his commands. Verse 13. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord's? Or as his counsellor has taught him. With whom did he take counsel? And who instructed him and taught him in the path of justice? And who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Now think about this. Where did God study in engineering? What textbooks did he use as he set about creating the universe that we enjoy? You think about all the, the animals in creation, the, uh, the, from the, the tiniest amoebas to uh, uh, the, the hugest whales, the, uh, uh, the, the stars, the planets, the black holes, the, the parts of creation that we're only beginning to start to explore. What patent library did he research? What episode of Dragon's Den did he gain inspiration from? No, everything, every true thing that you have ever learnt was an original idea of God's. And it's not just that he, he taught himself engineering. No, he had to invent physics first, didn't he? Created matter from nothing. It's all his. All the things that we are terrified of. He spoke into being with the words. All the things that awe us, they are his to play with. Verse 15, behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as the small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the aisles as a very little thing. Uh, when you go and buy fr loose fruit and vegetables in, uh, in the supermarkets, you take them to the till, don't you? And if you have a, one of those self-serve uh, checkouts, you place them on the scale. And of course, uh, first, you, 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 you make sure the dust is off, don't you? you? You just give it a wipe over. Just look very carefully. Any dust on there, you want to wipe that off, don't you? Because otherwise, the weight of the dust is going to add to the price you pay. Is that right? Of course not. Of course, you, it'd be absurd. It's of no consequence. And uh, you, if you're mixing 
cement, uh, mixing concrete, and the instructions say, you know, five buckets of water, and you, you pour it out, and you, you make sure you get every last drop left in the bucket, don't you? Because otherwise, it, you, you, the instructions are wrong. You know, you, every last drop, you wipe it out. Of course not. How ridiculous. The drop in the bucket, the dust on the scales, it's nothing. It's of no consequence. And here, but here, the Lord is saying, look, the, the, the nations... The, uh, the enemy powers that might invade, the, uh, the great governments and dictatorships that might oppress his people, that uh, war against God's promises being fulfilled. God says, well, they're just nothing to me. They're of no consequences of, at all. They are as a small thing to be lifted up and examined. No big deal at all. China, the US, Russia, Iran, the UK, the Taliban... India and Pakistan. No consequence when it comes to keeping God's promises. The outcome of that election that you got so worked up about, the outcome of that petition that you thought was so important, the, that Facebook argument that you had with someone, of no consequence. God will keep his promises and no one can challenge him. Verse 16. Now, how will you worship him? Back then, they, uh, they, they worshipped God with uh, burnt offerings. Uh, the, the animal would be sacrificed and burnt on the altar. Well, what would be sufficient? Well, verse 16. Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor its beasts su- sufficient for a burnt offering. The, the greatest forest that they knew in, in their worlds, teeming with wildlife. You could burn the lots, Isaiah says. You could never have any kind of worship that you say, oh yeah, that's, that's sufficient. We've, we've done God justice in doing that. That is enough now. We don't want to go over the top. That's enough. Verse 17. All nations before him are as nothing. They are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. Uh, he goes on, he's going to go on to explain next few passages about how he's got a plan to rescue all nations. He he will pour out his love on all nations. He's not talking about they don't matter to him in terms of wanting to rescue them. He's saying in terms of a a source of rival power against his promises to be with his people, they are of absolutely no consequence at all. That person at work who's been bullying you, that, uh, uh, that uh, new company policy that you're not at all happy with because it uh, is challenging you to compromise your Christian beliefs. That flag they want you to, f- to fly or that lapel pin they want you to wear. Of no consequence. God will keep his promises. Christ will build his kingdom. And it shows the sheer futility of making idols. No matter how you try to conceive of God or how you try to represent him, the reality is far, far greater than everything that we can imagine. Have a look at verse 18. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? The workman moulds an image. The goldsmith overspreads it with gold. 
and the silversmith casts silver chains. Whoever is too impoverished for such contribution chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter. I love the way he describes it here. Talking about the process of making an idol. Here's this thing that the, that, uh, the pagans are going to cry out to to save them from these coming invaders. He's saying, look, well, make sure you choose it well, otherwise it'll rot, you know. Here's a, here's a God that can't save himself from moisture or can't save himself from toppling over, but go on, you do your best and then ask him to save you. The one that can't save himself from the effects of gravity, the one who can't save himself from rotting, ask him to save you from the Babylonians. Go on, do your best. All your efforts, no matter what they are, is futile by comparison, isn't it? And this object of your worship and trust, whatever it is, is futile. Whether that is Baal, Vishnu, whether it's the financial markets of our day, whether it's your career or your finances, all of them must be very carefully looked after, mustn't they? Or they will topple over. How foolish, how utterly ridiculous to ask them for salvation, to think that we can build paradise on them and asking them to keep us safe. Verse 21. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its, uh, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Have you spent time explaining your career plans to grasshoppers? Have you sat down and tried to explain the way of the world and maybe consulted them on your planned uh, house move or, or, or anything? Of course not. The Lord is above us, way above us. We are to him as grasshoppers are to us. And so Boris or Keir, Biden or Trump, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. They are all chaff in the wind before our God. The judges of the earth are made nothing. Verse 24, scarcely shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth when he will, he will also blow on them and they will wither and the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one is missing. Go outside, says God. Out in the countryside on a clear night and look up. Okay? Look up at the stars. A billion, trillion stars that we know about so far. And yet he knows every detail about every square inch of every single one of them. Yet here we are with all our problems, thinking that 
the problems from the budget are so great. Or that uh, the outcome of whatever election or company policy are so great. That our health concerns are so great. When here is our God. And we ask ourselves, look, why has this happened? Well, verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my gods? Why, 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 why doesn't he see? Why, is, why doesn't he look at what's happening here? Why, why doesn't he explain himself? Well, verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He is glorious. He sees and he has his purposes. We can trust him and we don't need to understand where we're going to know that he does and that his promises are true. Do you know what? My, uh, my daughter was strapped into the seats today. and We drove down here from uh, where we were staying in my friend's house and uh, she didn't, it didn't matter that she didn't know the way. It didn't matter that my two-year-old doesn't know, sorry, that my, she's now three, that my three-year-old doesn't know uh, how to drive a car. It doesn't matter. And so it is with God. He is infinitely greater, infinitely above our ideas and our schemes. He has his purposes and they can be trusted. And he is with us. Verse 29, he gives power to the weak. And to those who have no, strength, no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. He's talking about supernatural strength, isn't he? He's talking about endurance that is beyond what pagans know about. He's talking about his church constantly being, people thinking, oh, you know, it's surely only one nation, one generation from extinction, and it has been like that throughout most of its history. And yet God has promised, and Christ is with her. And she will not just endure every generation, she grows. The Lord plants churches in places where it was thought of as impossible. And the church grows and vindicates the truth of the gospel in the most inhospitable places. And the second thing, behold your God, the ruler of the worlds. Verse 40, uh, chapter 41, verse 1. Keep silence before me, O coastlands, uh, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near and let them speak. Let us come near together for judgment. The scene shifts now. Instead of pointing out at the world, he invites the nations of the world to come and talk with him. It's a courtroom scene. Verse 2. Who raised up one from the east? Who in righteousness called him to his feet? Here's the question the nations have. Who provoked the Babylonians to come? Who caused this invasion? What, what happened 
to bring this about. Who made him rule over kings? Who gave them as the dust to his swords, as driven stubble to his bow? Who pursued them and passed safely by the way that he has not gone with his feet? They've invaded, they're passing through, they're they're, they're not meeting any meaningful opposition, They're, they're not suffering casualties, they're just winning victory after victory. And nation after nation is swallowed up. Who's done this? How can this be possible? How can this be fair? And the Lord answers, verse 4. Who has performed and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? They're saying, look, this this isn't a new thing. This has been going on and on, down through human history. Nebuchadnezzar, Alexander the Great, Genghis Khan... Uh, And now here again, who let the Taliban win? Who lets these people be in charge? Who who lets North Korea have the evil dictator that he does? Is God not paying attention? I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am he. He's saying, look, I, I was there at the beginning. I'm there at the end. I, I am behind everything. There's no such thing as authority that the Lord has not bestowed. Verse 5, the coastlands uh, saw it and feared. There, there are two responses here to the Lord. This great, glorious God who is in control over everything in heavens and the earth. The, the nations, all power, and the, uh, the, the pagan nations response in this way. Verse 5, the ends of the earth were afraid. They drew near and came. Everyone helped his neighbor and said to his brother, be of good courage. What do they need to do in the face of this God? What will they do in answer to this God who lifts up nations and throws them down again? They build more idols. Verse 7. So the craftsman encouraged the goldsmith. He who smooths with a hammer inspired him who strikes the anvil, saying, it is ready for the soldering. Then he fastened it with pegs that it might not totter. That's what we need more of. More idols that can't even stand up. That's what we need more of. Come on, hurry up. You know, let's encourage one another. Let's all work together to build more of these idols. Uh, and off they go, and, and so it is in our day, isn't it? What we need more of, we, we think, oh, well, if, if only I had more money, if we, only we had bigger government programs, or if we just worked together in the, the different nations, if we, if we only uh, got together, and, uh, and maybe if I just advanced in my career, then everything would be okay. How utterly foolish. What an utterly <laughs> pathetic, embarrassing response to this great God, to, to face the judgment that he brings on the earth and say, oh no, that'll be all right. If only my finances are improved. If only I have another idol. What's the response to be? Verse 8. But you, Israel, are my servants. Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendant of Abraham, my friend. Isn't that beautiful? He's made his promises. It's been 
many centuries since he made those promises to Abraham, and still they matter. Still he is the friend. He's talking to God's people that he has chosen. And because he has made promises, we can take confidence. Verse 9, You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions and said to you, You are my servants. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hands. We may not know the direction in which we're going, but the Lord is with us and we are his to command. We Sometimes his way is strange, but look, he is in charge and he keeps his promises, even when they look impossible. Nations rise and nations fall. He gave China to Mao Zedong, Mao Zedong threw out all the missionaries and what happens? The church was, in, the, the leadership of the church there be, was indigenized and exploded in number. Ayatollah Khomeini took over in Iran and suddenly evangelism seemed impossible. <laughs> suddenly it's, uh, the uh, death sentence was put on anyone who uh, converted to Christianity and uh, and yet, the church in Iran doubles in number every six and a half to seven years. The Lord has his purposes, and frequently his ways are not ours. But he is faithful to his promises, and we can stand beneath his glorious provision, marveling at his wonders, marveling at the way he's kept his word in the past, and looking at our present challenges and saying, I wonder what the Lord will do with this. We do not need to fear. We just need to trust him and keep on going. We have our standing orders and he is glorious. Do not be afraid. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord God and loving Heavenly Father, we pray that uh, you would help us now with the eyes of faith to step back and just behold our gods, just to see you clearly as you are, to, to uh, uh, spend time just thinking about your greatness, that your glory that is just far above everything we can imagine, all our problems, all our challenges, all the power or the foolishness, of those in authority and recognize that, that you raise them up. Sometimes out of your benevolence, sometimes in judgment over a certain nation. But Heavenly Father, we thank you that Christ is on the throne and there is no budging him. That he rules over everything and he loves us so deeply and passionately that he went to the cross quite deliberately to rescue us to bring us out of the fire, to bring us safely into your kingdom. Heavenly Father, we thank you for those promises that, uh, uh, that uh, the gates of hell would never withstand your church. And Lord, we, we pray in faith for the believers in, Af in Afghanistan that have, that have grown in number so strongly over the last few years, so, so small in number, seems so 
small and fragile uh, now uh, under the rule of the Taliban. But Lord, we know that you're the God who delights to show your glory through our weakness. You show your strength, you throw your wisdom through the foolishness of weak, impoverished people just sharing the gospel with their neighbours. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray that we will not be afraid and we'd pray in faith for them. And we will not be afraid and we would be willing to share the gospel with our family and our neighbours, our colleagues, knowing that you have your people and you will save whoever you like and that you are still saving people. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would trust that and we would step out in faith. Lord, that we would take great joy in serving you, knowing what you're like and what you will do. For Jesus' name's sake, amen.